Well, after a week off for the Memorial Day weekend, it is back to the grindstone this week for the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. As we kick back and we talk about the Reds and the Indians and what they've done over the last couple of weeks and a lot of news coming out between these two ball clubs. And to discuss it here further this evening, let's turn it over to our Reds expert, Blake Watson. Blake, how are you tonight? How did everything go last weekend? Oh, it was great, man. Nice to have a long weekend off with the family. Spent it up at our at our cabin in Hillsboro, Ohio, at uh, Rocky Fork Lake. Man, it was it was a great weekend to, to kind of get away and just shut everything down for a while. Put my phone in the drawer. Didn't pick it up all weekend except for to check on the Reds. I I don't suppose you had any uh, or many uh, several of uh, the adult beverages while you were up there. I will confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> um, that one of my wife's friends may or may not have thrown up inside of her tent. <laughs> we won't go any further with that one, just to keep the innocent from being guilty. Uh, we'll, we'll move forward on that. Blake, it was a good weekend for the Reds. They did an excellent job against the St. Louis Cardinals, who just happened to be the Indians' next opponent. Yeah, man, it was, uh, the Cardinals are scuffling right now. They're, they're missing a bunch of key guys. But still the first time in, since 1990 that the Reds had first off won a four game series in St. Louis. And again, first time since 1990 that they swept a four game series against the Cardinals in St. Louis. Um, they tried really hard to give that game away yesterday. Um, I have some serious props the way David Bell managed that game. Um, but Jesse Winker is just the best hitter in baseball right now. And it's not really close. Um, he, he bailed him out again. Um, three home run game, first guy in the bigs this year, two to three home run games. He's, he's absolutely unconscious. Still don't understand why, why we took Wade Miley, who was throwing a two hitter out of the game after the fifth inning. Doesn't make sense to me. Guy was carving up the Cardinals with that cutter. He had command of all his pitches. His pitch count was in a manageable situation. Just turned it over to the worst bullpen in the history of baseball right now. It's so bad. Um, and yeah. It, it's just so embarrassing to watch that bullpen at times. I, I did not get to see the game, but um, I think I had heard that the home plate umpire got injured and they had to change it. Is that true? That is true, and they were both rough. Well, um, the, que- the reason I brought that up is, did that have anything to do with Bell's decision to take Miley out? Because I know it was about the time there was a long layover in between the umpire switching. Uh, so the Cardinals were in the field at that time. Um, so I guess it's possible. Uh, I never really, that never really even crossed my mind that that would be a reason. Um, but you know, with Wade Miley being the, uh, the, the professional that he is and the way he, he's just not a high effort guy. Right. I, if I'm running that game, if I'm managing the Reds that game, that wouldn't have played an impact on my decision. Um, the, the first guy was giving Wade Miley two inches outside and two inches inside, which was helping tremendously. Um, and the, the second umpire was a little tighter, so the, maybe, maybe that was why he didn't want Miley to have to start grooving it. But, you know, anytime he turns open and opens the bullpen door and it's not Antone or friggin' Lucas Sims, who knows what's going to happen. So uh, I, I would have made every effort to keep Wade Miley in the game at least through the sixth myself. Uh, Blake Martinez has done a good job for them coming up and pitching a couple of good games. 
Yeah, he has. Um, up until yesterday, Feliz had done okay. He had a, I mean, Feliz faced five batters in the sixth, didn't make an out, or didn't get an out. Um, Brad Brock came in after that, faced three batters, didn't get an out. And with five runs in, bases loaded, nobody out, he turned the ball over to Antone, who had thrown in back-to-back games multiple innings in the first of those back-to-back games. Um, Antone and Sims both threw in three of the four games against St. Louis. That's just not a, a, uh, a recipe for continued success for those two guys. Um, and Anton made a great pitch to get a comeback or double play and then gave up a base hit to gave, to let him tie the game with, uh, at seven, I think it was Arenado hit the base hit. Obviously, Nolan Arenado's starting to get going, which is good for anybody in the, in the NL Central. I think he was six for his last six in that series. Um, but yeah, man, that bullpen's just atrocious. It's hard to watch at times. Well, as you can tell, it's taken me about five minutes to get into the program, and um, I still haven't mentioned the fact that the Indians finally, to my surprise and joy, designated for assignment Jake Bowers on Saturday. And it came as a surprise, Blake, uh, because I felt like the Indians were going to stick with this guy at least through the trading deadline and try to get through, get get rid of him then. But Blake, it, it was an experiment that should have never been ap- uh, approached after spring training. Bobby Bradley won the job at first base, and the only reason he was sent down was because he had more options than Jake Bowers. Uh, I watched Jake Bowers game after game, Blake, constantly unable to hit the ball in key situations. At first base, he was supposed to be the defensive stopper. He was anything but. Um, Bobby Bradley put his nose to the grindstone during the winter and did everything that he could do, including losing 30 pounds, to win the job at first base. He definitely won it in spring training. But again, in typical Indians fashion, as happens every year, a guy who wins a position gets sent back down because they feel he needs more seasoning. They did it with Urshela and the New York Yankees. I feel like they're doing it with Yu Chang uh, on the team right now. Uh, they tried to do it with Bobby Bradley. But Bradley really kind of made them look in the mirror and ask themselves, what were we doing for two months when his first three at-bats against Baltimore over the weekend, he hit three doubles. And he's hitting 750. Uh, right now he is the team's only hope at first base, and, and it's a team right now, Blake, that has played well against teams that have over 500 records, but a team, but in teams that they've faced throughout the first two months of the season, Blake, and it's almost inexplicable, they are 16 and 15 against teams that have sub 500 records. And yesterday they were just destroyed by Baltimore. It was a game that you know, if Major League Baseball wants to look at something, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, but if they if they really want to look at at something instead of seven inning double headers and putting runners at second base and in extra innings, uh, let's try the mercy rule in Major League Baseball because yesterday that game was just it was it should have been mercifully called after six innings. And I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, that's something that I think MLB needs to take a look at. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I agree. I think there needs to be something along those lines. Um, 
I, I don't know what the number is that would make me comfortable with saying, yeah, there's a mercy rule. Cause I mean, we've seen teams come down, come back from, I mean, the Cardinals did it yesterday down seven after three innings and they, they come back to tie the game late. Um, so obviously the numbers gotta be big enough to where, you know, if it's 10, how often do teams come back from a 10 run deficit? Like you, you'd have to do some research and figure those things out. Um, you know, I could see 10 runs after seven because you're, because you've made seven that kind of line of demarcation, right? It's, it's the seven innings is the, the doubleheader number. It is the whatever. Um, I think 10 after seven, I'd be comfortable with that. Um, and, and it, it's, is it good for anybody in baseball when friggin' Alex Blandino has pitched in four games this year? Like, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Why do we do that? And they only do that to save pitching, right? Like, that makes sense. But I just don't understand why we continue to have a game where we want we get position players on the mound. It just, you know, I guess you won't see a spot where Anthony Rizzo strikes out um, Freddie Freeman, but who cares? Well, and there, there's actual specific rules for that too, Blake, that you can't put a position player into pitch unless there are certain situations in the ballgame, like you have to be down by so many runs and everything. I mean, that plays right into the mercy rule. Yeah, there's definite, there's a definite way to do it. I, again, I haven't given enough thought to the rule to say this is what I think we should do, but I agree that there should be something along those lines in professional baseball. Well, and uh, I want to issue congratulations to Terry Francona. He won his 700th game as manager of the Cleveland Indians before the uh, Memorial Day weekend. And You know, I, I watch these two teams play, Blake, and, and you know I watch them uh, probably a lot more than a lot of people out there do. And to watch the difference between the two managers and the way that they approach a game between Francona and Bell, it, it's almost amazing. And, and I still stand by my my account that David Bell should be the first manager in baseball that is fired. I know you you might agree with that. You don't think the Reds are going to do it. But I don't think he puts the Reds in position to win ball games. And like you said, I think yesterday was a prime example of that. Oh, yeah, I think he terribly mismanages games here and there. Now, I've seen moves where I'm like, at first I don't get it, and then once I sit and think about it for a minute, I'm like, you know what? I really like that he did that. I really like the move he made there. Um, I, I think the biggest difference between Francona and Bell is just the experience level, right? Francona's been doing it for three decades. Um, and some level, you know, some way, shape, or form. Early in his career as a minor league manager. Um, and then, you know, for, you know, two decades plus, I think, in, in professional baseball. Or in the major leagues. You know, he's managed some great teams. He's managed bad teams. He's, he's seen everything that a manager can see as far as how to handle situations. And David Bell's just in his second real year of managing. I know technically third, but last year, I mean, that, that's kind of out the window for me. Um, I, I think David Bell is fine. I'm not, I'm not a David Bell fan by any stretch of the imagination. I'm also not one of those ridiculous Reds fans that keeps clamoring for Barry Larkin to be the manager. I think that's a terrible choice. I do too. Um, Barry is probably my second all-time favorite baseball player, um, but I don't care. Like, that doesn't matter to me. 
I don't want that guy to fail as the Reds manager. I don't want him, you know what I mean? Like, to me, that would tarnish his legacy as a Red and as a guy who played for 17, 19, whatever it was, years for the same organization. So I would not, I am not a fan of them fast-tracking, and everybody thought that they hired Barry to be in the booth, so he's close to the team, and I think that's all stupid. I think it's a, I don't think, honestly, I don't think it would be an option even if they did dump David Bell. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, again, not a David Bell fan, but I just don't know what the move is if you were to, to move away from him. Well, another thing that the Indians did a couple of weeks ago that we haven't been able to talk about is they brought up Bradley Zimmer from the minor leagues. Now, Zimmer has been one of their top prospects over the past few years. Three years ago, he came up and played extremely well for the Indians, uh, but then got hurt uh, as they headed into the playoffs in 2018, and he has just had injury problems. He is probably the second fastest player, Blake, in Major League Baseball, behind only Billy Hamilton, which, by the way, Billy Hamilton is out with the White Sox now. He strained an oblique muscle. Please tell me where he's got a muscle in his body in the first place besides the oblique. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, but anyway. I didn't, I didn't realize he was out. He was actually playing relatively well before he, he, before he got hurt. Yes, yes, he actually was, and he was, he was really, but we'll get into the White Sox here in a second. <laughs> and I've got something else I want to bring up about that. But nonetheless, you know, Bradley Zimmer, if he can come in, stay healthy, he is going to be a key to the Indians' success this year because he settles down the offense. He is their center fielder. He's the guy. He can cover all sorts of ground out in center field, and he could be the leadoff hitter that they have looked for in years. He has never been thrown out stealing a base. Do you realize that, Blake? He's never been thrown out stealing a base. Now, the White Sox almost got him a week ago, but the replay showed that he actually was safe, and they overturned it. Um, so his streak continues. But And Harold Ramirez has come in, and after being caught up in numbers with the Miami Marlins, he's come in and settled down the outfield somewhat. So they've got a situation now, Blake, where things are starting to settle down. They've gotten rid of Bowers. They, they've taken care of some situations that they need to. The only thing is they need Fran, they need Framil Reyes back. Now he's probably still about a month away uh, with his strain, but nonetheless they need to get him back. And now that the weather is is shaping up, uh, yesterday was just one of those games. That's why I say they they need the the mercy rule because yesterday was just one of those games where it was not everything Baltimore hit yesterday. Blake fell in. Everything. It didn't matter yeah. if it was broken bat, whatever. It, and you're going to have those days. A hundred percent. And as a baseball team manager, coach, whatever, at any level, there's always games that you punt, right? Um, we talk about that all the time, we, especially with college. There's games where it's early in a series, and you, you want to get rid of all your early, your good pitching or save all your good pitching to try to win games later in a series. Um, and... and that needs to make it easier for them. Like that would make it a lot easier to punt those games. You know, I, I all right. Let, let's get into this White Sox situation because it, it's really funny. Are there any are there any pitchers on the Reds, Blake, that you think throw 
a pitch that has substance on it at all? No, I don't think so. I think there was last year. Um, I think Trevor Bauer does. Um, but, uh, I, I would, I don't think so. I mean, I think they don't have too many. I mean, their only real high velocity starting pitcher is, is Elise Castillo. And he's always been that way. He's the only guy that throws 97 plus in the rotation. Um, and he doesn't really throw a breaking ball. So there's really no point for him to do it. The only guy I could see maybe would be Antone. He'd be the only guy on that roster because he throws such a nasty breaking ball. Um, but if you watch the way he pitches, he has the same arm speed on every pitch. And he throws 96. So if you throw at 96 with the same speed and a good grip, it's going to break, right? Like, that's that's pretty natural. Um, he throws nasty breaking slider, nasty breaking curveball. Um, but he'd be the only one that I'd even consider thinking about. And now there's a couple of relievers that I wish would um, so they could be a little better. Um, but, no, I don't think there's any guys on the Reds that do. Well, and, you know, Adam Wainwright with St. Louis has always been one that people have questioned. They've often wondered whether or not he he throws something with some substance on the ball. But I bring that up because, if you haven't heard, Major League Baseball is going to start now investigating a what I think is a unneeded accusation by the Chicago White Sox announcers. It all started in the Cleveland series with the Chicago White Sox two weeks ago in Comiskey Park, and it was all because Steve Stone, the color commentator, and their play-by-play announcer, Jason Benetti, were upset over the fact that the Indians are the only team in baseball right now that has a winning record against the White Sox. They have beat the White Sox more than what the White Sox have beat them. Now, the White Sox are one of the premier teams in the American League. You and I both agree with that. They're, they're a great baseball team. They're a, a very, maybe not great, but a very good baseball team. Should win the Central Division. But when Steve Stone, and I went back and I re-listened to it a couple of times, goes on the microphone and accuses Karen Chack, the Indians reliever, and blatantly accuses him of throwing a basic, what he wanted to call, uh, a pine tar pitch. And he accused him of having pine tar in his glove. They showed a camera angle where it appeared that he had a black substance on his glove. And it turned out to be a signature that was inscribed in the glove. And we've all seen that. All right. And um, Steve Stone has never backed down from it. To me, Steve Stone is a good color announcer. But he always followed upon the, the bootstraps of Harry Carey when he first was announcing for the Cubs, and now he's with the White Sox, and he basically thinks he's got to carry the announcer's table for them. And it's a situation, Blake, where, you know, Karen Cech has got a nasty, nasty curveball. And it might be one of the best in baseball. But Burb Lilevin, whom I'm sure you've heard of, had a nasty curveball. They never accused him of throwing a, a, a pine tar ball. And as a matter of fact, I mean, when you look at this, Blake, it's awfully hard for you to throw, I'm going to call it a spitter. Let's just call it what it is, what everybody's calling it, a spitter. When they change the baseball every 
doggone pitch. And explain that to me. If they really wanted to throw a spitter, Blake, you're gonna use, you're gonna use a ball that's scuffed up. You're gonna use a ball that's been hit in the dirt a few times. And, and that's always the way it's happened. It's harder than hell to throw a spitter with a brand new baseball. Oh, for sure. It takes, if, if you look back at old school guys that were spitter guys, um, Gaylord Perry. Gaylord, that's the name. I couldn't think of the name. Gaylord Perry. But back then they played with the same ball for inning after inning after inning, right? Yeah. And it takes a while to load that thing up the way you want it to be. Um, to get it to a point where it would slip out of your hands the way you want it to slip out of your hands. And for sure, it's way harder now. That being said, I do think based on all of the reports you hear and all of the things going on, that there is an exorbitant amount of dudes in baseball right now cheating. And then that's that regardless of what you think of the rule, it is cheating. Um, and I don't know if Karen Chack is one of them. I know he's always thrown a nasty breaking ball, but he could have always been using pine tar in his glove. Who knows? Um, nobody does realistically. Um, so I think I, I really like the way, you know, I said this to you last night. Um, I, I listened to the Chris Rose, I think it's called the Chris Rose rotation the other day, and Nick Castellanos was on there. If you haven't heard it, listening to our, our podcast right now, our show right now, Go check that out. It's really, really good. Nick Castellanos is a really sharp dude, man, and he's fun to listen to. But when he starts talking about this, it kind of ends the show. And he basically says, look, I'm not going to call people out. He says, I know people that are cheating. I, I knew dudes on our team that have cheated. Um, and he said, or the, I don't know if he used the word cheating, but have, have used illegal substances. And he said that, you know, if baseball wants to act like they care about it right now, because it keeps showing up in the media, but if they cared about it with all the people that Major League Baseball employs, you don't think they'd find it, right? Like, how hard would it be to have somebody stationed in each bullpen after, uh, as each new pitcher comes into the game and you check their gloves, you check their forearms? We see it all the time in MMA fights or boxing where they rub them down with Vaseline before they walk in so they know it don't have too much. Or whatever it is. Like, how hard would it be to check that? Or have the umpire go out when the new pitcher comes in, stand at the mound, and look at his glove. Like, if if you think it's that big of a deal, then do those things. If it's not, let's shut up about it and keep it moving. Um, Because... In reality, you know, that's just, the game's always been that way, right? People have always done it. We talk about a Gaylord Perry. We talk, how many guys that are in the Hall of Fame were probably spitball guys? Um, there's a lot. And it, it, I don't know. I think they either need to care about it and try to fix it or shut up about it. I think the biggest benefit to trying to fix it is I honestly think it would help offensive numbers, right? The, the, the overall batting average for Major League Baseball right now is lower than it's been in 50 years. And if illegal substances are the reason, then fix them. Now, I don't think they're the reason. I think the reason is, you know, specialized pitchers and guys throwing harder than they've ever thrown before. People being way too too concerned about the three true outcomes. Guys too worried about launch angle and hitting home runs. There are a multitude of reasons why that is the case. But I I just, if you're going to make a big deal about it, make a big deal about it to fix it. Just quit talking about it. Well, and, and, you know, Gaylord Perry... I will say this, and I know you you weren't around when he was in the league. Uh, 
But Gaylord used to go through all sorts of gyrations out on the mound, going behind his ear to the bill of his cap to this to his uniform to his pant leg, and he did it before every pitch. And he got you out. He got the batter thinking, okay, what's coming up here? Am I going to get hit in the eye with a glob of something? Uh, is it going to dart? He had you thinking about everything but hitting the baseball. Now, did Gaylord throw a spitter every pitch? No. Did he throw it 50% of the time? No. Did he throw them? Yeah. Probably 15 to 20% of the time, I would say, Gaylord probably threw a spitter, and maybe not even that much, but he waited until he absolutely needed to make a good pitch, and then he, he would do it. And, and I'm not saying anything. I'm not talking out of school. He admits it in his book, and he, he actually tells you how he did it. And I remember hearing an interview with Pete about hitting off a of Gaylord Perry, and uh, he said he, he hit the ball, and he watched spit fly off of the ball as he hit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he would Gaylord would lick his first two fingers, and then he would rub, he, he would lick him while he was on the mound. He, you'd see him do it, and then he would wipe his fingers across the front of his uniform. But what you couldn't see was the fact that the fingers that he licked were not touching the uniform when he wiped them off against the front. So he had this glob of, you know, spit on his fingers, and boom, there it was. I mean, Major League, it's a great, there's a scene in there where they, uh, the one pitcher, the older pitcher, is talking to Charlie Sheen, and he's saying, I put some Vagisil here, and he said, if I really need to do something, he said, I, I snort a little jalapeno pepper sauce up my nose. I get a good runny nose going before I go out on the mound. And he goes, you actually have snot on the ball? He said, hey, when you get to be my age, you'll do anything to stay in the show. And that was supposed to be about Gaylord Perry. And, you know, I mean, Gaylord was in for years. And he's in the Hall of Fame. You, you can't take that away from him. Although the, you know, Major League Baseball might try to, but you can't. He, he was a great pitcher. He got away with it for about 25 years. But nobody is questioning though, Blake, the fact that there are more pitchers in baseball now that are throwing over 100 miles an hour. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the change in the game, right? Like, and the fact that guys are so much more concerned well, we talk about it quite a bit on the show, and when we talk about Trevor Bauer, spin rate, right? Yeah. They're concerned with to making sure they get the spin rate as high as they possibly can. So they literally work on this stuff. Like, they go in and throw in front of a rap soda machine, which is really cool if you've never seen one. This really tells you the velocity and the spin rate and the axis and all of these things. Um, and, and they work to maximize that number. Now, are some of them augmented with some substances? Of course they are. They have been since the beginning of, of, of baseball. Like, since we, since the, the, the end of the dead ball era, um, pitchers have been looking for advantages. And, and it takes me to another to, uh, topic in baseball history that is kind of similar, and that's the steroid era, right? Like, we're, we celebrate it when it's, when we want to, but then as soon as we're done celebrating it, Oh, well, these guys are evil. Yeah. I mean, everybody in baseball was cheering on Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa to hit all those home runs and save baseball after the strike. 
and now you know we talk about them like they're second class citizens. It's it, it, it baseball in its the, the history of the game. It picks and chooses when it's um, when it wants to enforce rules. And I guess right now the the illegal substances is a big deal. Blake, when they were on the steroids, the big question was they still had to hit the ball. No matter what, they still oh, sure. had to hit the ball. Yeah, like, I, I would not, I am not a big anti-steroid era guy at all. Um, because, you know, I played baseball at a relatively high level. I know how hard it is to hit a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Like, even if you know where it's going to be, it's very difficult to hit it. Um, so, uh, that and, the, and to me, the pitchers were on steroids at the same time. Yes. And... It, 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 to me, that just like the dead ball era and the, whatever, the amphetamine era, if you want to call it out of the 70s and early 80s, the steroid era is just what it is. It should be taken for what it is. Those guys didn't compete against, you know, guys from other eras that didn't have the ability to take them. And, you know, at one point, they, they weren't necessarily illegal, right? Like, they were frowned upon. You weren't supposed to use them, but there weren't express rules against using them at the very beginning. Um, and I, you know, I don't care who you are. I've talked to, I had a coach in high school, um, who played AAA baseball. He was a really good player. And, you know, he, he played at the height of the steroid era, late nineties. And he told me, you know, every single dude in the minor league locker rooms were shooting needles in their butt. Like every one of them. But if, if somebody came to you and you're a 22 year old minor leaguer and said, Hey, Shoot this in your butt, you'll go from making $80,000 a year to $4 million a year. Who's not going to do it, right? Yep. These, these baseball writers, these holier-than-thou baseball writers that, that talked about how bad the steroid era was after they got done celebrating them and selling newspapers, it, it, it's a joke, man. They would have done it, too. If, if, you know, if me and you, they told us right now, take this shot, and you could become the biggest non uh, biggest baseball weekly show in the country – we would do it. Like, we, we could have 100,000 listeners tomorrow if you take this shot. Well, guess what we're going to do? Me and you are both going to probably take the shot. Yeah. That's just the way it is. I mean, it, it, but, you know, it, it, the other thing about steroids, too, is it accentuated what you could do, right? Like, there reason Barry Bonds was a great Hall of Fame player, no matter if he ever stuck an eagle in his butt or not. He would have been one of the... 15, 20 best baseball players of all time. He huh. did it, and he became the best power hitter of all time. Like, he, he, he was already great. You're absolutely right. And the other thing is, too, and what a lot of people don't know, and maybe you've never even realized this, is that back in the late 50s and the early 60s, it was just at the beginning of teams playing real a lot of night games. Okay? A lot of night games. And then you'd have the day games after the night games. There were things called greenies, which were basically high-potent amphetamines that were in buckets in locker rooms back in the late 50s, early 60s, that the ball clubs just actually gave the players because if they were playing a night, a day game after a night game, these guys were out getting dinner, they didn't get home till three, four o'clock in the morning, and now they've got a one o'clock first pitch, and they want to make sure they're at, they're awake. So they'd give them, and these guys were taking these things by the handfuls, 
these players to wake themselves up to play a one o'clock start and double headers on the weekends. I mean, there were there were always double headers, and they had these greenies. So I mean, it wasn't it wasn't anything that baseball was proud of, but it wasn't anything that they shied away from either. So I mean, and, and here's the other thing too, Blake. Let let's talk about Tommy John surgery. Let's talk about ACL surgery. You could look at those two surgeries right there and say those are performance enhancing because you're taking a muscle from somewhere other than elsewhere in your body to reconstruct the muscle that is that is torn or disintegrated and you can tell and you could say that that is performance enhancing. You, there's an oh, argument for that. For sure, and amphetamines were 100% the first performance-enhancing drug yes. in professional sports. Like, the Greenies were 100% the first performance-enhancer. Um, you know, you talk to those old guys from the 60s and 70s, they were jars of those things in the clubhouse, and they would just take them like they were candy. Um, it's no different than if you talk to NFL players from the 90s and early 2000s, they talk about Toradol shots, right? They had to take Toradol shots to play on Saturday or on Sunday. Um, those dudes, you know, finished addicted to tour at all because that's just the way it was. You took one every game. Um, and it's the difference between, you know, a medical thing and, you know, not needing it. Like I I would, you you tell me that if Ken Griffey Jr. would have taken HGH like all the other guys were during his era, he wouldn't have ripped his hamstring off the bone. Then they probably would have known he ahead of time probably would have taken it. Um, and, and continue to be one of the greatest to ever play the game. So I, I think it's uh, a crazy thing to even talk about. I just I think it's always funny how baseball picks and chooses when it has outrage over certain things. Well, I, and the Indians announcers yesterday, and I thought it was kind of funny the, the the topics that they were trying to bring up during this melee in Baltimore. But one of the things that was really interesting was they started talking about managers who had been ejected from ball games. And they brought up the fact that Earl Weaver, the old Baltimore manager, was actually kicked out of three doubleheaders in his managerial career. And all three were the second ejection was prior to the second game of the doubleheader. When they went out to exchange lineup cards, he got into it with the umpires again, and they threw him out again. So, but the one thing was that they asked, and it's a very, you never hear this question, and I think it's it's worth delving into, Cal Ripken Jr.'s consecutive game streak. Do you realize that in the middle of that streak, he was thrown out of a game in the fourth inning? No, I had no idea. I had no idea about that either. He was thrown out of a game in the fourth inning, but they let the streak continue because they said he started the game. Even though the game wasn't a complete game, they st- they let the streak continue, and that continued to pile up towards that streak. Now, the question that they brought up that I thought was rather intriguing was, what if he would have been done something that was a suspension-occurring offense? Do you think baseball would have actually stopped the streak to suspend somebody like Cal Ripken Jr., let's say, for example, he he bumped into an umpire like Joey Votto did a few years ago, or he threw his batting helmet like Brett Gardner did 
at the umpire and hit him? I mean, that's out of the out of the ordinary for Cal Ripken Jr. But let's just say, would Major League Baseball have the gonads to go ahead and suspend him for something like that? No, absolutely I, not. I agree. <clears throat> Especially late in the streak, if it would have been, you know, 95, 96. Um, there's no chance that would have, or I guess it was 94 that he broke it, right? Yeah. It was somewhere in that area. There's no chance that they would have done that. Um, it's, it's crazy. Again, the, the cynical nature of baseball. It's, you go, I go back to that, uh, to that podcast of Chris Rose, one with Nick Castellanos, him talking about his suspension and, you know, he, he, well, the big tagline of that show is Nick Castellanos threw away a smartphone to be a better, uh, to become a better hitter, which I love the fact that he, he doesn't want any distractions. He wants to be the best player he can be, which is awesome. But he talks about the suspension and he basically just says, I'm over it. Like keep, keep it moving. And he but he brings up Amir Garrett gets seven or four games or whatever it was for fighting the entire Pirates team. Yeah. And I get two for standing there with my hands behind my back. It's just that, that, you know, hypocritic, hypocritic baseball bullshit, for lack of a better way to put it. No, pardon my French. It's just the way they are, man. They, there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of the things they do. And I love baseball. I love watching the Cincinnati Reds. But man, sometimes that stuff makes it really difficult for me to continue paying attention. Oh, I, I agree with you. Now, you know, a couple weeks ago we brought up you know, what What we thought the Reds and the Indians were going to do around the trade deadline, and I, I raised, I thought, an interesting question with you. Uh, do you go after uh, Troy Story, or do you go after uh, uh, the pitcher, and, and now his name is, uh, escapes me again. Uh, Scherzer. Yeah, Scherzer. Max Scherzer out of Washington. You came back the next night and said, I, I changed my mind, I'm going with Scherzer. Do you still feel that way? Uh, I said that the night he pitched against the Reds just because I love his mentality on the mound. Um, he is an absolute bulldog. But I honestly think their rotation starting to get right. Um, if you watch the last, I think they're, they've won six of their last seven. It's starting to kind of look like that thing we talked about a couple weeks ago where it looks like they're starting to compete a little bit. Um, and I, it's exactly like I said, Luis Castillo had a good start. That is the biggest thing for the Reds going forward. I think I'll, I'll double down on what I said last time. For me, the number one thing for the Reds is bullpen help. Number two would be a shortstop. That, that's, you know, you're starting a guy like Mike Freeman at shortstop, who's a career 212 hitter in minor leagues. A good player, good defensive player. He's fine, but you're starting him at shortstop and sometimes even right now first base, which is mind boggling. Um, where a, a position is supposed to be, you know, a, a run-producing position. Um, and the shortstop would be number 1B on my list, but number 1A, 100%, is multiple bullpen arms. Right, and and I agree with you on that. i got to ask you this question, um, just simply because uh, the Reds announcers made such a big deal about it. Were you able to hear Joey Votto do any of the radio game uh, a week or so ago? Uh, I went back and listened to a little bit of it. It was really bad. Was it really? I didn't hear it. He, he, he's just, he's so awkward. Um, and he, he talks about, uh, he talks about baseball at a level that, you know, hitting and whatnot that other people just don't understand. 
Like, I love Joey. I think he's an interesting cat, but he is a weird dude. Um, he just doesn't, I don't know, man. He, he, he his, and he's Canadian, so that makes it difficult too. Um, it, it's just funny, man. You know, I, I, I listen to the Indians announcers and I'm not a big fan of, uh, uh, Drew, or, uh, Joe Rosenhaus, who's, Jim Rosenhaus, excuse me, the Indians, Secondary announcer, I guess you would call it. He's not really a color announcer. The Indians don't have one on radio, uh, next to Tom Hamilton. But, you know, what I found interesting, and I didn't know this, Blake, was still due to COVID. You know, the one thing I found interesting, Blake, is, um, due to this COVID situation, the TV announcers are still not allowed to travel with the teams. They do them back at the home ballpark watching monitors. But the radio announcers are. Can you think of any reason why that might be? Not at all. Um, other than maybe space for social distancing, I really don't know or understand why we're still doing this thing. As, as you see, the Reds, obviously, you live here in Cincy, so you know that you know they're going to full, almost full capacity. Um, yeah. So is the Indians. So are the Indians. And. Well, you know, at this point, we basically return to lives as normal for the most part, right? Uh, enough people are vaccinated. The cases per hundred thousand are under fifty now for Ohio, and it's just weird. You know, yeah. see all these people in the stands with no masks. The only thing I could see is maybe the TV guys aren't vaccinated. I mean, that would be the only thing that would that would preclude it. But I think if you talk to those dudes and said, "Hey," get vaccinated, you can go. I think they'd all do it. Um, I, I really don't understand it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, Blake, the Reds, they've got Milwaukee coming up, and that's going to be a, a tough series against that, that tough Milwaukee pitching staff. Well, they got lucky. They, they, they missed Woodruff, and they missed um, somebody else. They've got the, the pitching rotations set up pretty good um, for the Reds. We've got Greg going in game one. And then Castillo going in game three. Um, so it kind of sets up in a decent way for the Reds. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's a Milwaukee team is playing really good. Um, I think tomorrow night is they've got Hauser going versus Gray. Got to think that's, that's a good spot for the Reds. And then I, I, I don't remember who's going in game two and game three, but I, I remember seeing the graphic during yesterday's game and I'm like, oh, okay. So we missed. Woodruff, who's their stud. I think we missed Corbin Burns. So we missed their one and two, which helps. Um, and I think the Reds got a good shot to get another series. I think they got to continue to hit. Uh, there's a good chance, that, from based on what I heard, that Votto will be back maybe tomorrow. Um, the big question now is how is, is Tyler Naquin going to be out for an extended period of time? He was removed yesterday for a hamstring injury. Um I think of all the positions that the Reds could have an injury right now, though that's the one place they really are okay because Akiyama's fine in center field. Obviously, you don't get the thump offensively, but, you know, he's a better on-base percentage guy. He's a fine offensive player. I think that's the one spot where they actually can be okay with missing, missing Nathan for some time. Um, you know, we talked, yeah, we talked about the Reds just continue to start. We talked about Reyes being out for another month. How long is Senzel out for? Uh, they haven't said on Senzel or Moustakis. Um, I think Senzel's closer than Moustakis, uh, but I don't think it's ha either one of them are going to happen re really quickly. 
They also got positive news on Michael Lorenzen, who started throwing. Um, he is, you know, throwing now. He's starting to throw breaking balls on flat ground. So they seem to think they'll have him back by the All-Star break, which would help tremendously. And that's going to be, they've already basically said that's going to be in a bullpen role, which is exactly what they need it to be. Um, so I think if they continue to get what they're getting out of Vladimir Gutierrez in the fifth spot in rotation, Starting to set up for the Reds to maybe go on a little run here. I mean, six or seven right now. If they can get to a point, I think they're seven and three in their last ten. They need to continue that pace for, you know, a good three weeks to really get back in this race. And I think, you know, if the starting visit, starting fishing continues to be what it's been the last two weeks or so, week and a half, they've got a shot to rattle off, you know, a good 15, 16 game stretch here before the all-star break and put themselves in the spots where they can, you know, add a piece in the bullpen, and then you add another piece in Lorenzen that that really helps your bullpen. I think I think they got a shot to, to still be in this race late in the season. Well, and that's that's how I feel about the Indians right now. I mean, they're in second place, just four games behind the White Sox, and they've got a good stretch coming up for them. Also, they they're off tonight too, and they play the Cardinals in a two-game set in St. Louis. Tomorrow night and then Wednesday night. Then they're off again, which means they can use their entire pitching staff against the Cardinals if need be. And then they've got Seattle coming to town and the Orioles coming to town. Then they go to Pittsburgh, and then they're in Chicago to face the Cubs, and then they're back in Minnesota to face the Twins and then the Tigers. So that's their schedule throughout the rest of the month of June. I mean, if they could, if they could come out of June, Ten games above 500, I think I'd be thrilled with that. Oh, I think absolutely you have to be. Um, and it's crazy because they're four games out and they're in second place. The Reds are four games out and in fourth place. Um, just shows you the difference in the two divisions. And I think the White Sox are a better overall team than anybody in the NL Central. Um, but it just shows the show. I don't think anybody at any point in the NL Central is going to run away and hide. I don't care who it is, how good they play. Um, I think the Cubs are going to come back to earth a little bit. Uh, Cardinals and the Reds are going to get healthy. And, you know, Milwaukee's, I just don't see a way that Woodruff and Burns continue to pitch the way they're pitching so far this year. I mean, Woodruff's probably your number two pick right now in the National League for Cy Young behind DeGrom. It's, it's crazy to look at the NL Central and, you know, the AL Central and just to realize how competitive both divisions are. Thanks for exciting baseball. I'm at the point now, though, where I want the Reds to rip off 10 straight or lose 10 straight so they can sell these pieces that aren't going to be around next year. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And we'll talk more about it next week, okay? Sounds good, buddy. All right, that'll do it for tonight. And hopefully you'll join us again next Monday night at 7 o'clock here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Until next week, for Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.